going to read from the last of our readings there from Proverbs chapter 12, from verse 9. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Let's pray, and then we'll think about those Proverbs together and what it has to say about our work. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your love towards us. We thank you that your word speaks to us, speaks life into us. It speaks about our life and it, it shows us how we might live in all the fullness that you've made and that you desire for us. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak through it and that you might bring life into our hearts and into our bodies. And Lord, as I speak, I pray that you might speak through me. Pray that you might shape us and mold us into the people that you would have us be, that we might live joyful and fulfilled lives, but that we also in so doing might be uh, a witness to those you've placed us around of what it looks like to really live in the fullness that you have made us for. So we'll pray that uh, you might do your work now through your word. Amen. Um, If you keep uh, those readings there in front of you, hopefully you've got the sheet there from... um, the front door this morning. If not, there's, there's some still there. Um, save you sort of flipping pages sort of around and things. And the theme this morning of this collection of Proverbs is work. Truth could have gone to a lot of other places, but there we are. We'll keep it at just these three sections here. There's lots of different outlets for our work, isn't there? Whether that's paid, whether that's unpaid, whether that's maybe caring for somebody in some capacity, whether it's voluntary in any way, whether it's homemaking or working for a charity, whether it's study or research or childcare, there's lots of different ways in which we work. We use our time It doesn't really matter what it is that you do. So when we're talking about work, it's whatever it is you spend your time doing. And even if you don't work anymore, these verses become relevant to you because there are people around you who do. And you might well be able to be that kind of mentor uh, and guide to someone who still is working and to be able to share your experience. But here's the problem. Here's the point of thinking about this this morning. We have a very, very poor theology of work See, what we do do sometimes is we do sort of concede the importance of work and the precedence of it in our lives, but we have next to no theology of it. What I mean by that is to say we have next to no idea really, certainly not clearly, what does my work have to do with my faith and how does my faith affect my work? Martin Luther, one of my dead friends, Uh, says this uh, about work. He says, what you do in your house is worth as much as if you did it up in heaven for our Lord God. He's talking about homemaking, I suppose, there. We should accustom ourselves to think of our position and work as sacred and well-pleasing to God, not on account of the position and work, but on account of the word and faith from which the obedience and the work flow. 
to try to simply summarize him, I think what he's saying is that if we had a clear idea of how our faith in God connects to our work, our work would very much be a sacred place. And so that's what we want to think about this morning. So I just have three points for you from those three readings. Firstly, to commit your work to God. Secondly, define success. And thirdly, be content. Firstly, commit it to God. And you can turn with me there to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 16. And the point there that even in that quote from Luther has made is that work is not valuable just in how you might share the gospel with people around you in work, though that is good, and I would encourage you to be doing that and to be thinking about ways in which you can do that. But your work isn't valuable simply for the ability to share the gospel with people. Your work actually is valuable in and of itself. And it's valuable because it's a place in which we might live the gospel out in our workplaces and through the activity of our work. Serving God and serving people well. And so just in these three short proverbs here, there's three things I want to show you here. There's a truth in verse 1 that we plan and God delivers. Secondly, there's the problem that I don't have perspective. And thirdly, there's a resolution that we're to trust it to God. Firstly, there's that truth. Proverbs 16 verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. God's sovereignty doesn't negate human action. Human action actually is fulfilled by God's sovereignty. To put it simply, we plan, God delivers. The plans of the heart belong to man. It's good and it's right to plan, to dream, to scheme, to do something that you care enough about to make plans about to work at something that you enjoy, that you care about, that you're passionate about, that excites you, that you want to plan. The plans of the heart belong to man. And yet, equally true, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It's good and right for us to plan and to prepare, but God is sovereign over our work. And also over those we work with and that we work around, that we work for. Even in those moments where it does not feel like that, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over our work and he's sovereign over others. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. There's the truth. But secondly, here's the problem. Verse 2, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. There's the problem. Did you see it? All the plans of man are pure in my sight. And yet we know that there are many plans that seem to be so good that don't work out so well. I was thinking about a few of these this week. Uh, The first one here is a square watermelon. Expensive, hard to grow, not very nice to eat, stacks well. And yet somebody thought it was a good idea. Somebody thought it was really genuinely worth the energy of changing from a regular watermelon to a square watermelon. The plans are right in my eyes. Or how about this next one? It's not a get-up for a bank heist, 
this mask promised through shock therapy to rejuvenate your old leathery skin through the night. This is the rejuvenique face mask. It turns out, as well as looking utterly ridiculous, it just plain hurted. All my plans seem pure in my sight, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Or how about this? I don't know whether you sometimes struggle of just not knowing what to eat, sort of torn between sweet and savory. Uh, you have a busy lifestyle, and so you think, well, maybe it would be good to kill two birds with one stone. And so enter the perfect solution for the modern family, the chocolate chip pancake-covered sausage. It'll give you both in one. The plans that I make are pure in my sight, but the Lord weighs the spirit. I need perspective. Every plan I have always seems good to me, at least at one moment. Often, actually, what you feel, it seems amazing, it seems terrible. It seems amazing, it seems terrible. And you never really know. I need perspective. I'm really not the best judge. The struggle can be, I've looked at it simply too much. I can't see the good in it, or I can't see what's wrong with it. I struggle maybe to cut off my emotion from it, that if anyone says it's bad, I'm, I'm devastated. Or I just struggle to put it in its proper perspective. The problem here is, although we plan and God delivers, we struggle to get perspective. So here is Solomon's resolution here in verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. There's an interesting wordplay that's going on in the original language because the word commit there, it means roll away, give over, roll it over to God. Roll over your work to the Lord. It's not yours to carry It's not all on you. It's not only you that can possibly deliver. And then there's a contrast. The contrast with committing, rolling away your work to God and then being established, being set firm. And it's a building term that's being used, like you would set a foundation firmly in the ground so the building will be secure and strong, won't fall. Roll over your work to him. Your plans be established. Give it to him so it can be more firmly established than if you tried to hold on to it. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. We can trust our work to God, who cares and who controls it better than we ever could. So commit your work to God. Secondly, define success. You can look there at Proverbs 22 and 23. I wonder how much stress in our work life does or has come from us not really defining what success would be for us in that job and how we would find it. So there's three sections here I want to divide this into. Firstly, about finding recognition. Secondly, how we behave around superiors. And then thirdly, defining success. Firstly, look at that last verse of chapter 22. It's about finding recognition. Chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He'll stand before kings. He'll not stand before obscure men. Everybody wants to be recognized, don't they? Everybody wants to be credited, to be acclaimed, to gain responsibility, perhaps to earn more in the workplace. Everybody wants that, to stand before kings. And yet recognition here comes in one way, and one way only. It comes not because you necessarily deserved it or owed it. 
Come not because you've won it on a talent show or you shouted the loudest for it, but due to skill. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He'll stand before kings. Whatever your work is, work hard to be the best you can be at it because you're serving God and you're serving people. How do we find recognition? Well, we become skillful in our work. But secondly, we get this advice on how to behave around superiors. And this is where it's incredibly practical, really, what Solomon is saying to us here in verses 1 to 3. Skill leads to recognition, which leads to invitation before superiors. And then there's that question, how do we actually behave in that? Well, firstly, he encourages us to take it in. Observe carefully what is before you. Rather than rushing to show yourself off, sit back and watch. Take things in. Take it in. Hold back, he says. Put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. It's quite drastic language, isn't it? But keep a control of yourself. Don't be indisciplined around him. Sit back, take it in. Control yourself. Be disciplined. Take it in, hold back, but also guard your heart. Don't desire his delicacies. Don't be taken in by the trappings of success. It can be alluring. See, everybody thinks that that's very easy, really, uh, until you have to do it. Um, In Zen Buddhism, uh, the meditation is all about this sort of idea of thinking about not thinking. Uh, so my way of doing that is I watch a program called Selling Sunset uh, on Netflix uh, because it's utterly mindless uh, white noise. So it's just great to have on in the background and really not think. And the basic premise of, of the program is they're selling really expensive houses in Los Angeles. Uh, and here's the interesting thing, perhaps, perhaps not. Uh, I'm not interested in houses at all. Uh, they don't motivate me. Uh, it, it, they don't move me. But five to ten minutes into the program, I suddenly find myself feeling, as I look at these houses, wow, I'd love to live there. Wouldn't it be great living in that house? You know, you think it would be easy to resist riches when you don't see them, when you don't have access, when you don't have opportunity. Then the reality is, when you can see them, when you can access them, when you do have opportunities, they are hard to resist. It is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy. It's quite a task and responsibility to be tasked with wealth. See, the job with a great wage, but that kills the rest of your life, is hard to resist when you see the money. The level of lifestyle is hard to let go of once you've had a taste. It's hard to say, no, I don't need that purchase, when you can get it. Don't desire his delicacies. But then thirdly, it's about defining success. Look at those last two Proverbs there, verses 4 and 5. Don't toil, and the word there is overwork. Don't overwork to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. And you see there that there's the reasoning. There's the measure of success. Don't do overwork to acquire wealth. That's the thing that's triggering it. That's the thing that's motivating it. Acquiring wealth. Don't do overwork 
to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, to stop. Know when to stop. Take back control, to borrow a phrase, for your life. Decide when actually the carrot of a promotion or of extra money is actually no longer worth the time and the energy it would demand of you. Know when to stop. It also tells us, secondly, money is a bad motivator. You'll never have enough. It will only go down in value. You'll only be harder to please. But thirdly, money doesn't last. Look at verse 5. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings. And now we're living in a time of stagflation again, like the late 70s. We know that. (laughs) We experience that every single day, that a pound goes down in value every single day. Milk prices go up, and even just your most basic things, you realize you need more money just to get the most basic necessities. As soon as your eyes seem to light on it, it seems to go. You taking control and defining success for yourself will liberate you from being dictated to by your work. See, success, a better measurement might be, being where God wants you to be, doing what he's gifted you to do, and serving him and people to the best of your ability, to the glory of God. My dead friend again, Luther writing on work. He says, a cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they're all alike consecrated priests and bishops, and everyone by means of his own work or office must benefit and serve every other, that in this way many kinds of work may be done for the bodily and spiritual welfare of the community, even as all the members of the body serve one another. Again, to try to summarize him if you missed that. There are loads of different ways in which you legitimately work and serve God and people through it. And by so doing, you serve people's actual physical needs, but also the spiritual needs and well-being of a community. You take your place as being a priest, being part of God's people, having a, a, a way of reflecting God's nature and message to people in your work. Commit it to God, define success. Lastly, be content. Proverbs 12 there with me. Uh, Microsoft conducted a study last year called the Work Trend Index. And it revealed that 41% of the global workforce were considering quitting their jobs within the next year. In fact, those figures jump even higher to 54% in Gen Z. That's people sort of 30 and under. Uh, And 46% of people were planning a complete career change. What it tells us is, quite simply, many people are simply not happy in their jobs. And so likely not happy in their life either. All these proverbs here in these few verses are about contentment at work. Look at uh, verse 9 there with me. And this is all about substance. Better to be lowly, well, the word actually is slighted, better to be slighted and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Better to actually be sort of talked down and people talk bad of you, but have a servant than play the great man and lack bread. Why is this about contentment? Well, because it doesn't matter how people speak of you. It doesn't matter how people see you. 
if the substance of your work is fruitful and faithful. This is the very opposite of social media. On social media, all that matters is appearance, and substance doesn't matter at all. All that matters is how you look, the appearance of joy, the appearance of meaning, the appearance of contentment and fun. Uh, One such example here, this is uh, Ryan's World. Um, If you're parents or look after kids, sort of at any point you might be familiar with him he started reviewing toys he now has 32.8 million subscribers my children have all at some point uh, been one of them my kids now expect their lives to look like ryan's they expect sort of each day to be sort of reviewing a brand new toy we're going to go to this sort of supermarket and buy a whole bunch of things and uh, you know we'll just have that money there and stuff it's changed the expectations of life that that must somehow be normal. Of course, it's not. It's not at all. It's all fake. It's all a job. The family have just become essentially actors in a never-ending advert reel. But it's all about the appearance. But here, contentment is being satisfied with the substance, no matter what the appearance may be. So firstly, it's about substance. But secondly, verse 10 here, it's about compassion. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. One who's approaching their job as an opportunity from which they can serve God and serve people. They're not looking for their identity in their work, but actually they're doing their work because of their God-given identity as a servant, has regard for the life of his beast. It's regard for people in the workplace. And regard, in this case here, in an agrarian society, has regard for the animals that help this and yet when the cruel even think they're being merciful it's cruel example of this in in the mines they used to use pit ponies i think i've got a picture of one here used to use them to pull the uh, coal trucks up and they were treated terribly by miners uh, who would shout and would swear at them would abuse them and so the stories in the welsh revivals of miners becoming christians Uh, And then going back to work with a new attitude. And all of a sudden they actually do care, amongst other things, for the pit ponies. So much so that the ponies didn't obey anymore because they didn't recognise the commands. They didn't recognise the kindness. They had grown used to the abuse of their supervisors. Whoever's righteous has regard for the life of the beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Why is that contentment? Well, lack of compassion usually comes when we're discontent. We're too busy looking to ourselves to see others' needs. But then there's this encouragement here to use our time well. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. I used to work in the debt management company with a guy called Simon. He was a really nice guy, very enthusiastic, always offering help on special projects, Uh, But he never actually really got promoted, and I was a bit confused by that. Uh, It it seemed to me like he was maybe taken advantage of a little bit. Um, And so when I became a manager, we were on one of these terrible enforced fun nights out. Um, And so in in the midst of it, I was just chatting with one of the directors, and I said, you know, why has he never wound up sort of getting promoted to something? And he said to me, Dom, he does all that stuff that I didn't ask for. And he didn't do the one thing I did ask for. For all Simon's energy and effort, it was placed in worthless pursuits. 
Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Why is that contentment? Well, worthless pursuits are often simply us not accepting where we are, the job we have. It's us trying to be somewhere we're not yet, doing things we weren't asked to do. About substance, compassion, using time well, but also, and again, he's said similarly before, but not coveting. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. Desire the fruits of misdemeanor, fruits of unrighteousness, the riches that come with wrong practices. Be satisfied with the dispendable fruits, maybe humble fruits of righteousness, rather than go after the riches that you can never bank on that come from evil doing. Verse 13, it's also about our speech, and we're coming to the last two now. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. The point here is, be careful not to allow your discontented heart to come out of your mouth and ensnare you and entrap you in things that are hard to row back from. Be careful of your speech. And then lastly, it's about satisfaction. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Speaking with contentment leads you to be content, satisfied with what you have, and God returns your work to you. It's the opposite of the Rolling Stones song, isn't it? I can't get no satisfaction. Written only a couple of short years after having amassed huge fortune and fame. I can't get any satisfaction. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of man's hand comes back to him. Be content. Wherever you are, right now, is where God has placed you. Wherever you will be is where he will place you. Be content. Commit your work to God. Define your success. Be content. One last quote from Martin Luther. The idea that the service to God should have only to do with a church altar, singing, reading, sacrifice, and the like, is without doubt the worst trick of the devil. How could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by the narrow conception that service to God takes place only in a church? and by the works done therein. The whole world could abound with the services to the Lord, not only in churches, but also in the home, kitchen, workshop, field. Many people are seeking to find their identity in their work. If you do, you will live an utterly frustrated life. We are called by God to be servants as part of our very DNA as Christians, is to serve Jesus and to serve the community he's placed us in with the opportunities he's given us. Your work is a huge opportunity for you to live out your God-given identity as his servant to his glory, for your good, for the community's good. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us, uh, many of us, the opportunity to work in all sorts of different ways and fields. 
Sometimes that work can be frustrating in all manner of different ways. Um, it is hardly a sort of perfect experience. Many times it can feel quite uh, frustrating for us. And so, Lord, we pray for your help in embracing the opportunities and the workplaces and the skills and the opportunities that you have given us. Lord, help us to see how we might live out our identity as your servants through our work, that our work might be a place in which we would serve you and we would bless others, that we might be able to approach it, seeing how can we give our best to you and to the people you've placed around us to look after and to serve and to give products and services to you. Help us to see, Lord, where our faith deeply connects with what it is we do in so much of our time. Help us, Lord, to commit our work to you. Help us, Lord, to plan and dream, but to give those over to you. Help us, Lord, to learn to define our own success in terms of our living out who you've called us to be, where you've placed us. And Lord, help us to be content with what you've given and where you have put us. We ask it for our good and for your glory. Amen. Um, we're going to sing a closing song in just a moment. But what I will say as well is that I was mentioning there about um, living out our God-given identities through work and stuff. I would love you, if you sort of get the chance and have the time, there's a bunch of A4 sheets just over there that just have a little summary of, of some of that stuff. And that might be really helpful reading over the summer. At least it would help me to feel like it was worthwhile spending the time in front of the printer and getting frustrated with it and repressing some swear words. Uh, so, yeah, you, I, I would appreciate that. But I'm going to invite you in a few moments once we're ready to, to stand and we'll, we'll sing our closing song.